0: listening to Pythagoras' Trousers. Hello and welcome to this month's Pythagorean Astronomy with me, Chris North, and back for the first time in quite a while.
1: It's me, Edward Gomez. Nice to be back, Chris.
0: Excellent. Well, great to have you back on the show. It's certainly been an interesting uh, few years uh, in in the world in general. Um, yeah. And <laughs> uh, the last month has, of course, been uh, extra crazy because of all the events going on in Ukraine, which are devastating with the Russian invasion uh, of Ukraine and and all the the destruction and casualties that there are there. And I don't think we want to get into the, the, the politics or the military side of Of any of that. Uh, That's not really our place. And I don't know about you, but I'm not best informed as to all the details of of what's going on there, Edward. Uh,
1: No, certainly not. But uh, it's that there there has been as obviously a a long shadow has been cast by this war. And um, it's had an effect on science. As well. Um, Many institutions in the UK and across the world have uh, had a a sanction on international collaborations with Russia, uh, which obviously has a big effect on uh, not only research like astronomical research, but also things that are pressing like medical and climate uh, research. Um, So it, it is having a truly global effect. Um, and will have a long-term effect, even though it's only been 30 days, um, not only on the geopolitical status, uh, but also on on research. Uh, And it's had a a particularly pressing effect on space travel. And for many years
0: now, there's been this big collaboration, for decades really, between largely uh, Russia, the Russian space agency, Roscosmos, and NASA, uh, and then also more recently in terms of human spaceflight, ESA, in terms of sending astronauts to the space station, for example. So for a long time, since the, since the end of the space shuttle program, the only way to get up to the space station was via the Russian Soyuz rockets launching from, from Russia. That's changed in recent years with uh, the, the SpaceX capsules and the Dragon capsules and then also some of the, the Blue Origin stuff, other private companies in the States that are launching stuff. But there's still quite a lot of heavy reliance, and of course, the space station is a big collaboration between Russia, the US, and the European Space Agency, and Canadian Space Agency, and uh, Japanese space, uh, astronauts and uh, all sorts up there uh, at, at various points. And that's that's. I mean, they have. They, I guess they have to leave the. I assume on the space station, they leave the the, the politics at the at the airlock. Um, uh, they have to operate the space station safely. Um, but it must must be tricky knowing what's kicking off down on the ground.
1: Yeah, and um, the astronauts I've met, uh, and I've not met a huge amount of astronauts, but all of the astronauts I've met have all been um, calm, generous, and uh, quite um, apolitical people, uh, which is really what you want. Uh, I understand that it's a highly competitive Thing to get into being an astronaut, but um, certainly the the Reese, the newer astronauts, people like Tim Peake um, and and that generation of astronauts, have um, all a very global view of um, of the world and life, and uh, are normally not only shy away from politics, but but actively don't engage in politics because they know that. They're colleagues. They are individuals. They're not necessarily Russian or Canadian or uh, American. They are just the people that they are. And they leave the, like you say, they leave their baggage at the airlock and they get on with the, the job at hand. Now, of course,
0: there has recently in the last uh, couple of weeks been a launch of three new Russian cosmonauts up to the space station. Um, And as you say, they are individuals. We will probably never know their views on the situation down on the ground. Uh, But there was an interesting thing when they arrived. They launched in their normal pale blue, light blue um, spacesuits, if you like, or the the, the undersuits rather than the the big white things. And then when they arrived at the space station, they were in yellow and blue spacesuits, which are... Kind of the Ukrainian flag colours, which yeah. everyone thought was a political statement, and an interesting political statement for them to for them to make. There was a claim that it was the flag or the colours of all three cosmonauts went to the same university, Bauman Moscow Technical University or something. I forget the exact name. Uh, that maybe it was it was those colours, and and there are arguments that the, these spacesuits would have been designed and made months ago so the chance of someone having to change or being able to change them at short notice is slim Uh,
1: yeah i suspect i suspect they are the university colors and somebody is in a lot of trouble for not spotting that uh in the period in between the colors being selected and them actually appearing in those colors i think for the astronauts themselves it was probably they knew and they were just keeping quiet about it um, and the pe- the ground staff, you know, it just slipped through.
0: It's uh, an an interesting, um, I guess, mistake to make from their point of view. If it was seen as a mistake from the the, the space agency. Um, elsewhere in uh, in space flight, the other things that are going on uh, in the world with uh, with sort of collaborations is that Russia doesn't just launch its Soyuz rockets from Russia. It also has Soyuz rockets that launch from. Uh, from Europe, well not from Europe, from the European Space Agency site in French Guiana uh, down in South America. And very shortly after the uh, the start of the, the conflict in, in Ukraine, as a result of the sanctions that Europe and the rest of the world put on Russia, Russia pulled out of all Soyuz activities in French Guiana. Now that has an impact on existing missions um, because that means that there are missions planned for launch that that can't launch uh, on those rockets. Changing a rocket is not just a case of unbolting it from one and plugging it onto the other, because they have different adapters and, you know, I don't know, different Allen key sizes or whatever. <laughs> There'll be all sorts of things that are different, different cable connections, I'm sure, uh, between all the different uh, the different rockets. So that's, that is that is going to take some time to, um, uh, to renew, and will probably mean that Europe starts relying less on the Soyuz rocket entirely, will move to its own rockets.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And really, the Soyuz rocket, and, uh, it was a stopgap. But these technologies are extremely dynamic. They are changing a lot, particularly with the commercial uh, rocket business. So I think we will see uh, big changes uh, in that landscape anyway. But uh, I agree that there will be less of a reliance, which is, which is a shame because then it will lock out Roscosmos to some extent. Uh, and because of a matter of pride, they probably won't want to rejoin with ESA. And you'll, instead of having this um, this collaboration, this inter- huge international collaboration, you will have different space agents be pitted against each other. And uh, space travel had been heralded as one of these uh, beautiful coming togethers of different nations, re- regardless of politics. And really throwing aside all of the shackles of the, the Cold War. And now, unfortunately, this is the, the shackles have been put on again.
0: Mm. It, mean, it means in terms of the European Space Agency on Ariane Spass, who, launched, who run the, the site there, that they will probably start relying more on the Ariane 6, which is their upcoming replacement rocket for the Ariane 5. It's a heavy lifter. It's a big, big rocket. Uh, the Vega rocket is much smaller, and that can launch small things into orbit. The Soyuz filled that useful gap of being a mid-sized launcher, um, not as expensive as the Arians, uh, the big Arians, um, but could launch more than the small Vegas. So we'll have to see what happens with uh, uh, with that. And I, I suspect the Ariane 6 will, um, will largely fill the, uh, fill the hole. As you said, there are, there are other private launchers uh, available as well that people might start might start using. The other big um, victim of this in, uh, in science terms, uh, and, and it's worth saying, that of course, the space flight and space exploration and astronomy are uh, far from the most important thing in any of this. But in terms of the impact that this has had uh, is the, uh, the ExoMars mission, Rosalind Franklin, the rover that was due to launch at the end of this year uh, using a Russian landing system. And that whole mission has currently just been suspended.
1: Yeah, and that's a, that is a big problem. You could see that changing rocket might be quite an easy plug and play thing. It's really not. Um, the capsule size that um, the payload, the things that are going up into space is called the payload, um, that the payload is in is, is extremely tight. And these things are built for a particular rocket system. Um, and uh, changing that is not a trivial thing. Plus, uh, these rockets—they don't have them lying around spare. They basically are, are custom orders, and so um, it, it's really up in the air what will happen with that system now. Mm.
0: And, and so that was due to launch in September this year from Russia, from the Baikonur Cosmodrome on a, a, a Russian Soyuz rocket. So with all of that pause, you know they're not going to be shipping that to Russia. Uh, anytime soon to be integrated with any rockets. I think it's still in, in, in Europe um, being being assembled and tested, and the, the, the lander that is, the, the rover. Uh, so the problem with, with that, it's a Mars mission and the Mars launch windows come around every two years. And that means that it's already been delayed from 2020 to 2022. It takes about seven months to get there. So it's going to get there mid-2023. It's now going to be 2025 before it gets there if it doesn't launch until 2024 I'm sure a big uh, a big stress for all the people working on the mission for whose you know work of the last decade I imagine if not more has been just suspended and just put on on hold
1: yeah it's a, it's a big worry um, it was a key component of the XML's mission and I'd be I'd be very surprised if they did just abandon it. But it's always a possibility. You can imagine that uh, financial pressures, you know, keeping something going for uh, an extra two years, they might do the budget calculations and decide, actually, if you pull the plug now, it's a lot cheaper uh, than continuing something uh, and not having another solution. Because although it's only pushing it back two years, that's if you keep everything the same.
0: Yeah, and and do you keep all the staff. If you keep all the staff on, then you've got to pay all their salaries for two years. That's incredibly expensive. There's a lot of staff on these missions. If you don't keep the staff on, they all go and do new things. They might, might not come back in yeah. two years' time. Um, yeah. So it's uh, it's it, it's really hard to know what they'll do. So we we await news um, that I'm sure won't be quick coming on what that mission is is going to do. Moving away from the Ukraine conflict uh, and to. Uh, uh, other things around the world in terms of space flight uh, and space exploration. Uh, we've got the the SLS, the Space Launch System, uh, which is NASA's or the, Euro, the US government's replacement, essentially, for the Saturn V rocket of the Apollo era. It's the first time they've built such an enormous rocket uh, in, in decades. They essentially had to relearn how to do it, use some components from the space shuttle, uh, solid rocket boosters and so on. But this really is designed. It's for the Artemis program, which is NASA and ESA's new upcoming mission to uh, to the moon, to send people back to the moon. Uh, and it's it's almost ready to do a test. It's done a test run of a test run in some senses.
1: Yes, it's a it, it is a large rocket. It's not quite as big as the Saturn V and uh but it's a it's a very different design it's actually be a quite a familiar design to people who remember seeing the space shuttle uh with having the the twin solid rocket boosters and then the um uh the, the the orange tank in the middle but then it has the nose bit that is reminiscent of a saturn V rocket um it can't the the, the payload, the amount that it will take up into space is not quite as large as uh, a Saturn V um, but it still will be able to take people and equipment to the Moon and uh, I for one am extremely excited about this possibility I've thought for a long time that the Moon has been neglected You know, people haven't been to the Moon, on the Moon's surface since the 70s and uh, because uh, NASA decided to go with the space shuttle and low Earth orbit and uh, and sending uh, robotic or um, uh, remotely controlled equipment and satellites and robots out into further space. And I think it's very exciting that people will once again walk on the Moon. I think that's uh, really, although Mars is, is a very exciting place to go, the Moon is much, much closer and uh, has a huge amount of possibilities and so uh, i've always thought that going to the moon would be uh, a wonderful thing to to start again
0: it's interesting that i read one of the news articles referred to the artemis generation and if you think about it we talk often about the apollo generation the people who grew up with apollo being a thing uh a thing that okay the us did but the humanity did you know went and walked on the moon albeit you know only 12 people and now 50 years ago, but that means that will there be a generation of people who are really inspired by this this Artemis mission? It's due to do a test flight, an un, uncrewed test flight, so just an empty capsule uh, to go around the moon and back again uh, over a, a long sort of getting on, for, getting on for a month's mission, I think, uh, in maybe uh, middle of this year, May, June, July kind of time. Um, the, the test run they've just done was basically wheeling the rocket out to the launch pad and back again. Yeah. Uh, they did they got it ready to the point just before they launched the rock they, they fire the rocket engines and then stopped uh, so if that's all gone well uh, then they'll uh, they'll do this test flight uh, and it, it will be an impressive thing to to see and then it's going to be a couple of years until we see people uh, flying on it in parallel of course uh, the SpaceX company you know SpaceX company have got their starship uh, massive absolutely enormous rocket which is bigger that's done uh, several kind of high profile um, belly flops uh, on the ground when they've <laughs> done uncrewed test launches um, and uh, they've been less successful uh, than, than some of the previous attempts. The rockets have not successfully launched yet, as far as uh, I, can, I, I can tell, or at least there were a lot of failed tests. So we'll see how that compares. And one of the big differences there is that Elon Musk's is very reusable uh, it's meant to be entirely reusable. The SpaceX Starship rocket is is reusable. the the SLS the Space Launch System is uh, not reusable. As a result, is incredibly expensive. I think the estimates have come in that each launch in the first four launches is something like four billion dollars, which is basically four billion pounds. Right, it's the same. That's a lot of money um to to be spending uh on one of these launches and so whether that is sustainable that's one of the big issues attached to this is the price tag right
1: yeah and i remember the one of the the key parts of the space shuttle program was that it was recyclable and reusable and uh and it was supposed to be you were sending up a launch every week that was the the aim and that was hundreds of millions. and But that was going to low Earth orbit. Um, that was going to a space station. And that's only a few hundred kilometers away. The moon is a thousand times further. And that's a very difficult thing to make cheap. <laughs> and, and also, making something reusable means that uh, it's got to endure the stresses of of having explosives at the bottom of it. Um, And and that's really why it's a very tricky thing to do. I think Starship is uh, an extremely ambitious program. Um, And uh, yeah, it's made some quite spectacular belly flops. But if it were to work, um, I don't know how much of it is just going to be press and PR the the reusability of it uh, versus the 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 price tag Mm. like Tesla.
0: Well, and I think yes, for for Starship, for a rocket that size, there aren't many people or many organisations who want to launch satellites or or spacecraft that require a rocket that size on their own. You know, you tend to be talking about missions to the moon or very very substantial satellites or space stations or whatever up into. Up into low Earth orbit, and those don't happen very often, which I think is why the smaller rockets, the the Falcon, the Falcon Heavy, and so on, that SpaceX, and then other other Blue Origin and so on, have got their own launch systems as well, are more popular because commercial suppliers will want to use them. For example, the Starlink network, which Elon Musk has so controversially launched thousands of, of satellites into orbit, and a bit of a blight on the night sky for for astronomers is is one of the side effects. So we'll see what with with the, the spaceflight missions that are still to come. Um, we'll see how those develop over the coming years as those missions. But uh, if we do get a test launch in a few months uh, of the space launch system, that is going to be incredibly exciting uh, to watch. Uh, a very impressive rocket launch, uh, I'm sure. Uh, one other thing to update on in spaceflight is the James West Space Telescope. So reports on this at the end of last year when it launched. Had a few people from Cardiff talking about their uh, uh, their experience and what they were planning to do with uh, with James Webb. It is currently doing its focusing, essentially its alignment of its mirrors. Um, it's getting on its way to its three months through its five six month uh, commissioning phase. It's at L two. Um, everything seems to have gone swimmingly, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it does. And some some of the initial images coming back are ultra high resolution and um, something which everybody really hoped would happen and really has uh, so uh, all the signs are good from, from the very few commissioning images that has, have been made public. So it's going to be a really very interesting time. Um, I remember when something similar was happening with the uh, Herschel Space Observatory and uh, very small amounts of data were, were being uh, sent in press releases about the the commissioning. And it is very exciting. It's always exciting to see a new science instrument, uh, particularly one that has been waited for for so long mm. and eagerly awaited uh, come to the time that it's actually going to do its work.
0: been some really interesting things on Twitter with people comparing the image that it's taken with previous images from other space telescopes, such as Spitzer, the previous big infrared uh, mission at similar kind of wavelengths. Um, and then also Hubble and so on as well, and comparing and contrasting, uh, the two. the other thing actually we have about James Webb that's blowing up on Twitter, of course, is, is the name, um, the, the character, the person James Webb is a, a fairly controversial character in NASA history with things that were going on in the fifties and sixties under his watch, uh, in, in terms of, uh, firing people for homosexuality and so on, which, uh, are things that are, uh. Not good, and there are big questions about how sensible is it to start naming telescopes after people, um, given that there's always these uh, grey areas in people's lives,
1: particularly in recent years. Particularly people who are in public memory. When you name something after historical figures, um, there's very little new information that you can find out that will be controversial. You might find new things out about theories uh, and their perception. But if they're historical figures, you're not going to uh, to find a huge amount out. Unfortunately, with people who are um, have recently either still living or have recently been alive, that's always going to be an issue. And hopefully, that will now change uh, with um, with further missions. And but something like the Vera Rubin Telescope, which is the uh, what the um, LSST, the the large. Synoptic Survey Telescope was renamed to. Um, I think that is a great thing because Vera Rubin was a great figure. If you name something after an, an administrator, it's never a good idea.
0: Uh, also, I mean, it's doing, due, doing the due diligence as well. So there have been the, the thing that's blown up on Twitter in recent days as we record this is the fact that this was sort of, you know, there was a bit of a whitewash over this in that there was a, an investigation, quote unquote, um, that didn't really find much, whereas actually it turns out there's a fair bit of evidence that there was stuff going on that could really have been looked into um, before deciding to to name after uh, James Webb. So we will see, and it'll be interesting to see whether the, the name, I, I, them changing the name seems rather unlikely at this stage, but whether people will just start using the acronym more instead of the name. There's been a push in the UK, certainly, to call it, just for simplicity, to call it Webb, just because JWST was a bit of a mouthful. Uh, maybe that will change. Of course, in Welsh it's just, so
1: we could just call it just. Just. And uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, okay, on to except, um, except J doesn't have a G, uh, Welsh doesn't have a J. Uh, true, true. Uh,
0: we have to give somewhere, I guess. Um, let's move it to, uh, away from controversial uh, things. Onto some, onto some science. We should uh, actually talk about some science uh, this month. Um, one story that uh, we both looked at was this. Um, it, it was a, an undetection of a black hole, uh, which yeah. is um, <laughs> something that doesn't happen very often. Well, actually, probably does happen more often than we hear about. But this this one was because the original uh, detection or ap- apparent detection was was, in, was quite high profile. It was the, the closest black hole to be found, about a thousand light years away. It just turns out not to exist.
1: Yeah, this this happens quite a lot in in science that somebody has a theory that makes some News, and then somebody else finds something that either partly disproves it or completely disproves it, which is what happened in this situation. The researchers who were involved in the initial uh, press release about the discovery of a black hole were part of the team that disproved it and uh, were uh, very gracious about it. I suppose you could say, um, they they fully acknowledge that that's what science is. You have observations you come up with an idea to explain those observations but if somebody can take new observations and come up with a better idea that's science and you go with that um the (laughs) how can a black hole disappear is quite an interesting question so what the initial research appeared to see was uh two stars orbiting around something else. So there was one star that appeared to be wobbling, and then the other star was going in a wider circle around that. Uh, And people quite naturally thought there was something that they couldn't see that was making the star that's in the centre wobble a bit. uh, And they thought that's a black hole. And actually what it turned out to be was that they'd observed this binary star system a system of two stars in quite a unique time it's something that happens to all binary star systems but it happens relatively quickly so you've got to be really lucky to find out of the whole age of the the, the binary star system you've got to be really lucky to spot it at exactly that point when one of the stars is pulling gas from the other and that's what's causing the wobble not about uh, something that you can't see, i.e. a black hole.
0: It's something called stellar stripping, isn't it? Where the yeah, outer vampirism. Stuff, yeah, stripped off the, 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 the star uh, onto the onto the other star. Uh, and uh, it's uh, as you say, it's a very brief process towards normally getting on towards the end of a binary uh, star's life, I guess, because sometimes it can have catastrophic con- consequences if the masses are right for one of the objects.
1: Yeah, that's um, right. If you can strip off enough material, it, it can really cause problems for one or other of the stars. It can make them unstable because obviously the stars are stable with the amount of gas that they have for the majority of their lives. Uh, and if you add more gas, so either the the, the one that's doing the stripping, the, the more massive one, uh, if that gets a big dump of gas, it can make it explode. And we see that in uh, uh, type 1A supernovae. So a
0: very... A very um well, although it was the the, the de-detection, the undetection, the dis-discovery—is that a word? It's not uh, the the undiscovery of a black hole. It was a discovery of something, uh, you know, also very interesting in this uh, in the, this star system's uh, life and and something that uh, that is helping us understand binary stars. So uh, not a um, not too much of a a bad story in that sense or a disappointing story. And as you say, still very much part of the scientific process uh, and uh, this happens happens all the time it is it yeah. is progress in yeah. knowing n- knowing about all these things okay that's uh, about it for this month uh thank you very much edward welcome back and look forward to speaking to you in uh, future months uh back uh fingers crossed all back to normal thanks chris uh, don't forget you can find past episodes and subscribe to the podcast at pythagastro.uk and you can also find us on spotify a search for Pythagorean astronomy. Until next month, goodbye. You've been listening to Pythagorean astronomy, an extended version of this month's astronomy roundup from Pythagoras' Trousers, a weekly science and technology radio show presented by me, Rhys Phillips. You can catch up on full episodes of Pythagoras' Trousers, subscribe to our podcast and get in touch by going to www.pythagoras-trousers.radio.fm.